He was on a personal trip to Mali in 2010 when Barry Hoffner was struck by the lack of educational opportunity for young people in rural villages around Timbuktu. There and then, he decided to find the funding to build a school. Now, 12 years and 16 schools later, Barry is making a huge impact on the futures of young people in Mali. His organization, Caravan to Class, is a Good People Fund grantee and has grown from building schools to supporting women's literacy and sending promising young women to college through a scholarship fund named after his late wife, Jackie. Here's Barry in conversation with GPF Executive Director and host of Good People Talk, Naomi Eisenberger. Caravan to Class really started when you took a trip to Timbuktu in Mali back in 2010. Give us a little bit about that, that trip. Well, first of all, I had read about Timbuktu when I was very young. I had always remembered that. By origin, I'm a Babylonian Jew. Um, my mother was born in Baghdad. And so I always felt like I had the desert in my DNA. Some years before the trip, I read a book called Men of Salt, uh, written by an author, Michael Beninoff, who had done this journey to collect salt in the salt mines in the Sahara Desert. I was fascinated by that book. And my 50th birthday was coming up. That was in 2010. Our kids were still young, relatively young. And my wife was kind enough to grant me a, a leave of absence for a couple of weeks to go and pursue this sort of bucket list trip to visit Timbuktu. And while there, I was kind of very taken in by the culture, by the engagement of the people, by the allure of the desert. That's when the kind of idea of being able to kind of give something back to this place that had, you know, impacted me with this trip started. And from there, caravan to class. When you got there, what happened? Yeah, that's a great question. So I spent a few days uh, in the desert in the, this, this music festival that they used to have before they had challenges called the Festival au Desert. And a lot of famous musicians go there. And it's because of the authenticity of it. It's these musicians out in the middle of the desert. They set up a soundstage. And, and the authenticity of the place, the Tuareg coming to play their instruments together with the international performers. And one morning I just woke up from this festival and said, okay, enough music. Now I want to see something local. My guide took me on a camel, believe it or not, to the closest village. And it turned out to be that village that I saw where I decided, okay, uh, for my 50th birthday, I'm going to build a school in this village. I remember calling my wife when I got back to the town of Timbuktu and I said, hey, honey, how you doing? She said, Great. I said, I'm going to build a school in this village that I just went to yesterday. She's like, that's great. You know, kind of like I had just made up in my mind that I was going to do this. I had no idea how I had never planned anything like this, but that's, uh, that's sort of what happened. Obviously your story has a very, very unique, you know, the twist is there, but it's unique in other ways. It's, it's very typical of so many of our programs is I need to do this. I don't know how, but I need to do this. You were also at a certain point in your life when you could do this. Yeah. I mean, I'd been retired from finance for a number of years. Yeah. I was always looking for kind of a little bit of an adventure. And so, yeah, this became my new, I guess, caravan to class became my new adventure. Right. That first school was in Tadani. Yeah. So when I first visited that village after, you know, after the, the music festival, I really had no plans of starting a foundation. 
it just hit me that I have to build this school for my 50th birthday. There was no idea of continuation. It was just, I visited village. I'm going to build a school for my 50th birthday. That's it. It happened to be in the village of Ted Inney. I had, you know, arranged to get some funding. I did start a 501c3 just to be able to get funding on a, you know, more easily get funding. Um, I had applied for a foundation, one foundation grant. The rest of the money came from friends and family and ourselves. And that's when I decided to make a caravan to class. And the focus is on rural villages outside of the town of Timbuktu. Timbuktu is both a town and a region. Basically, we focus on building schools in rural villages around Timbuktu. How many schools are there now? So we are just starting the planning for our 17th school. Um, we inaugurated our 16th school this past February. The focus of our of our programs, or I guess I would say our mission is to make going to school sort of a, a universal right for these kids. Because where we built schools, the kids had never had any formal schooling at all. So it's already a win for us in terms of our investment if kids go to school and there's some learning that takes place. The, the, the schools are for kids age one to six. You know, I think with all organizations, it comes a point where you have a good model, you do what you do relatively well, let's say, and then you try to see kind of like, what more can I do? That's where from that we've figured, okay, we have a good model of building schools. Every child has a right to be in school. You know, we're limited in funding. I mean, we're not a huge organization. So we, we commit to building one school per year. We do our work on making sure we choose the right village because we only have one village to choose each year. And we have to be content with knowing that, you know, we're providing an access to education in that village for kids who otherwise wouldn't have any access. The model that you created, I'm assuming, is a model that you can basically drop in to every other community where you decide to build. If we do our work in terms of choosing the village where we feel we have the best investment potential for committing the village committing to get the kids to school. When we build the school, we also commit to supporting it, and that helps us stay engaged for a number of years. Uh, in terms of sensitization of the population uh, towards education. And we pay for teacher salaries. We provide basic nutrition, school supplies. We provide um, uniforms, which is a huge thing. The parents see the kids putting on their uniforms. These are kids who probably wear the same thing every day. And all of a sudden they got this brand new uniform on and it's really exciting for them. And so that's our model. And uh, so when we do our work in choosing the school, we have the same contractor who builds the school, the same timetable, the same level of support. And that's, yeah, and that's what we do every year. Tell us a little bit about those adult female literacy classes. Sure. So one of our major aims is to stay engaged with the village, which I think makes us different from maybe some other organizations that just do the school building. Because we only do one school year, we want to stay engaged with the village. Well, one of the reasons is we want to sensitize the population because we're not on the ground to advocating for, for education, for using the school, for getting their kids to school. And so we came up with this idea, I think it was 2014 as a test. What if we take a number of mothers in the village since we built a school and put them through a, a, a literacy program in their local language? The schools are in French. The parents, none of them really speak French. The kids are learning French, but we do it in their local language. We do a six month course in local language. They go to school three, four days a week for a couple hours. That's what we call our female adult literacy program. We started it in 2014. Um, the Timbuktu Ministry of Education 
does the teaching and they also do the measurement of the attainment of basic literacy at the end of the six months. And usually we get between, let's say, 70 and 80% who pass that. But it also kind of gives them an opportunity to see what actually sitting in a class and learning is all about in a very limited way that they never had themselves the opportunity to, so they can understand why their, their younger kids, particularly the girls, want to go to school. So that's become you know, a nice new addition. That program in 2017, we won an award from the uh, World Food Program USA called the Catherine Bertini Trust Award mm-hmm. for our work in female adult literacy. I think they only pick one or two uh, foundations a year to give that award to. So, um, so, and so now when we build a school, that's a, another part of our program. We call it the sensitization part. After the female literacy classes, Caravan to Class took another, another turn in the road, unfortunately inspired by a very deeply personal loss on your part and your family's part when you began the, the Bourse Jackie scholarship program and Bourse for those who who are listening and are not French speakers, Bourse is course. Tell us a little bit about this. You know, I I think part of running a foundation in terms of the cause that you're serving, you're always kind of in the back of your mind is, can I ever really solve this problem? I mean, if you think of the ultimate unsolvable problem, unfortunately, world hunger, but you know, it's a problem that can really never be solved. I mean, realistically. So even in our small little world of just building schools, you know, I came to a point where I realized, I mean, we can do the good that we do, but we can never really solve the problem. We're not big enough to have enough money to be able to build a school in every village in the Timbuktu region. There are 960 villages, probably still a couple hundred without schools nor ensure literacy outcomes. And so that was always in the back of my mind. Um, I had one early donor who used to always tell me, if I find any women who want to go to college from our villages, mm-hmm. uh, I let me know I'd like to personally support them. I said to her, you know, in our villages, unfortunately, realistically, those women won't go to college for a number of years, They're, for a number of generations, probably. Um, but there are in the town of Timbuktu, a few high schools where there is, there do are some women who go to university and there's an opportunity for others, but there's a lack of funding. And so immediately after I experienced a deep personal loss, I lost my wife tragically. Her name was Jackie in, in Africa. It hit me like as building the first school when I was there in 2010, it hit me. I got to, I got to do this. I got to launch this program. And in launching it, it kind of solved that question for me. Like, this is a problem. Like someday we could actually, Tim Caravan to class itself could actually solve just in terms of the numbers of women who go to high school in the town of Timbuktu. It's not that crazy that if this program ever grew big enough, we could actually solve this problem. In other words, meaning like we could actually provide a scholarship for any woman who meets or, you know, minimum requirements to go to university. So we launched that program. I lost my wife at the end of 2017. We lost, launched it in early 2018. One of the benefits of being a small charitable foundation is you can move really quickly. The idea was that we would fund five scholarships every other year to go for these women from Timbuktu High School to go to university in the capital, Bamako, which is like a thousand kilometers away. It's a big change for these young women. I mean, they go from a town of 60,000 to a big city of 3 million. And so we launched that program in 2018. 
with our first cohort of five, two of whom had just graduated last year. And so we have some nice specific stories to tell about that. We've been captivated by the stories of the young women, you know, who have gotten these scholarships. I look forward every year to hearing where they are. Again, I think part of the thing is we're trying to create with this program, which can be very personal and is very personal. In other words, I'm in contact. We have, uh, let's see, five. we have 17 scholarship recipients and we're on a WhatsApp thing and I'm able to contact with them. It's exciting for them just to text me, bonjour, Mr. How, how are you doing, Mr. Barry? You know, like we also want to create a model for it like we did for our schools. I know that you have, you know, probably a book's worth of stories to share, but is there one story in particular? From our first cohort of uh, five applicants, we have three incredible success stories. And I'll just touch quickly on two. I'll expand on the third, which is the (laughs) main story that you asked for. So two graduated last semester. One got a very good job with a tech startup as the marketing brand manager. And wow. she's in Bamako and I see her making her posts on Facebook for the company every day. And, and she's doing really well. The second, uh, we actually just hired a month ago. She started June 1st as a program director for this program. She right. got scored the highest on the test that we had submitted to all the girls of the four years that we've been running this program. And we had a lot of applicants for this job. We put out a wide call. We could have we talked about just giving her the job, but then we said we want her to feel like she's earned it. So we had probably 50, 60 applicants for this program director job from all different areas, uh, some incredibly talented women. And in the end, we ended up choosing her. So she's now the assistant program director for this, uh, for the Boris Jackie program. The third and the one I like the best is Bintu. And she was in our first cohort from 2018. We sent them to Ghana as part of the package of uh, things that we offer for the scholarship recipients so they can learn English. It's a three-month intensive program, which is a skill that not many Malians, particularly women from Timbuktu, would have, but a very valuable skill. And I could attest that I met them uh, before they went to Ghana, and then some months after, and their English had improved incredibly. Like we were able to have a conversation in English, whereas er- early on we weren't. So when I was in Mali in February, uh, I had a meeting with the U.S. Ambassador, Ambassador Hankins, and his assistant told me that one of our scholarship recipients was up for uh, a women's empowerment program that the U.S. Embassy sponsors. And so uh, I received a letter a couple months ago from Bintu from the U.S. Embassy that she was chosen for this women's empowerment program. And she will go to Delaware for six weeks with other women from Africa from sponsored by the U S embassy and other countries for yeah. a six week empowerment program. That's a life dream for her. She wouldn't have had any chance to do that if she hadn't gone to Ghana uh, to learn English. So yeah. that's a, that's a, when I think of like of our first cohort, three of the women had just done really spectacularly well. And it makes me very yeah. happy. That has to be extraordinarily rewarding and certainly does prove that what you're doing is has tremendous impact. In two weeks, six of our recipients are going to Ghana. They, they have all let me know. So they all want to go now. Of um, course. Which is, which is an advertisement in itself because I know that English, whether or not they end up getting the same opportunity that Bintu does when, and all six of them cannot. But that English itself will be an amazing additional skill for them. What's the next big thing that you see for Garabantha Glass? 
I mean, we're still very inspired to continue to build and support one school per year. And I would say that that program is on a very good, I don't know, status quo is the right word, but we just continue doing that every year. And that works and that runs. Our birth tracking program is the one we're investing in um, just because of the immediate potential that we've seen and also the sort of place in my heart that the program carries. You know, when you talk about data, again, when I look at our first cohort and we have three who have just had amazing outcomes from Mm -hmm. that. And then when I see the grades that these women get in their classes, I think one of our recipients from last year, Nana Fatuma, they sent me her grades. And I think she was third out of it's like 250 students in her major. So this is a program that we're investing in, and we're investing in a number of ways. Our plans are to expand both the number of scholarship recipients who want to get to 10 a year, and then also the experience of the program itself to provide career skills for them, interviewing and resume writing and networking um, to get internships and things like that. So that's the direction we're going. And I would say that's, uh, you know, to get to the point one day, hopefully down the road, like if you we talk in the foundational world about what's your big hairy goal that you may never achieve, but like it's out there for you. For right. us, it's to provide a, a scholarship to university for any woman in Timbuktu who meets certain academic requirements. And it's not, it's not completely unrealizable, I'd say. Uh, so anyways, that's where we're headed. We'll take it step by step. Yeah, you know, I'm very, very excited about this program. I'm sure that when you started that you really had no idea that life's twists and turns we're going to bring you to this point. If I could just make a quick comment on that, because I appreciate you saying that. Like one thing I would say to to people out there is, you know, there are certain big time visionaries like Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, you know, most of us, we just, we sort of do our daily thing and, uh, you know, we try to live a good life and stuff like that. But every once in a while, if an opportunity pops up, you either take that first step or you don't. All it is, is just take a step and then see where you are and that it itself creates its own pathway. So I'm certainly, that's certainly what happened to me. I had no big vision here. I mean, I just took a step and something stuff opened up for me and I just followed that path. You know, how can people become advocates for this kind of work and the enormous impact that it has? Yeah. I mean, I think this dovetails well with what the good people fund is all about. We should all try to make the world a better place. Right. I mean, that's just like basic. The Good People Fund funds people or small organizations who are doing work on the ground, who really care about what they're doing. And most of us really care about our donors. I yeah. mean, I've established, as with you, Naomi, personal yes. relationships with my donors that it's not, it's more than, and I, as I've told you before, it's more than the money. It's the sort of the respect and the attention and the care and the interest that you give that inspires us to continue doing our good work. So you know, right. I think you can get way more bang for your buck um, funding a smaller foundation where you can be, you can feel part of the work and part of the appreciation. And that's what I would say is if you have the interest and the time and the audacity to go do your own thing, please go do it. And if you don't find a small organization where you feel really connected to what they're doing and get involved and, and feel part of kind of the success of, of what's going on. Well, thank you for your time and most of all for the great, great work that you do. And it's an honor for us to be able to help you and Caravan to class. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate all your support. support.